Good morning. If we can make our way back to our seats. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad we see so many uh, smiling faces here. It's such a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, it's good to see spring coming back around after the week of cold we had there. Um, but yeah, thank you for taking your time this beautiful Sunday morning to join us. Um, as Rick said, as, as George said, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Um, and yeah, really, if, you, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you took time to join us. Uh, we really just are blessed to have you here, and we're excited to see uh, how God might use your time this morning in your life. So I have the pleasure this week of starting a new series. Uh, we're starting a series called Family Foundations, Thriving, Not Surviving. And one of the things we realized over the past few years as your pastoral team is that through many conversations we had, through many um, just times of, of counseling and more, that really this pandemic has brought on countless challenges. And one of those challenges has been in the realm of families, especially. So perhaps during quarantine, just all that time together, it brought out new realities, new differences, increased strains on marriages and families, on parents and kids. So maybe undesirable qualities you hadn't seen before, or maybe just things that you perhaps didn't realize had changed over the years. Or perhaps things that you for a long time saw and was like, man, I, I, I really appreciate the difference in them. All of a sudden it's driving you crazy because you're around it all the time and you weren't expecting it. And perhaps with some of these changes became sin as well. So whatever your struggle, whatever the struggle, um, we're hoping, you're hoping that something changes. Namely, that God changes them, that person that's bugging you. But maybe, just maybe during a series, God would have something different for us. And the focus and, the, and the, what God would want to change would be our hearts and not their actions. And perhaps maybe that's not your story. Maybe during quarantine, all the time together was just a sweet time. But you see these realities of, of differences and sin bumping into each other, bumping into your li- lives whether it be through coworkers, whether it be through church family. And I think oftentimes with a serious name like Family Foundations, we can immediately think, well, I'm not married, so I'm good. But I want to take a moment in this series to simply talk to those of you who aren't married. I want to ask you to please don't tune this series out. Much of the ideas, yes, was primarily driven towards couples and marriages who are struggling in the midst of pandemic realities, But maybe, this doesn't apply for your biological family, maybe it applies to your family of choice, your church family. Over the past couple years, there's little differences of, you've seen on social media, little comments here or there, or or you've just seen the reality of not being alongside of someone, and the relationship has become strained over time. And so part of what made this past two years especially challenging is that trust naturally decreases when you don't have time in person together. And so for many relationships, especially those in our church family, the lack of being together has led to just natural deterioration of relationships. There's an old, old rhyme with an unknown author that says this. It says, to live with the saints we love, oh, that be the glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. 
And so whether it be your biological family or your family of choice and your church family, the topics we'll be hitting in this series, we hope we'll take time to address, um, just make a tangible difference in your, in your lives and in your, in just a valuable difference in our relationships. And so whether you're a kid or an adult, single or married, let's engage together these next few weeks as we hit a couple topics in relationships that often are overlooked in our, in our time thinking about relationship. And so we hope these would be valuable discussions. Now we know in a, in a short series like this, we can't be exhaustive in our, in our desire to cover what would be fam- foundations of good family relationships, good relationships. Um, if we did that, we'd probably be in here as long as we are in 1 Corinthians, and we're trying not to do that. We have a book to 1 Peter to get back to. But we believe these will be valuable pieces in our relationship to, relationships together. So with that said, our goal is to bring hope, to lift our eyes and our faith to God, and to trust Him that He has something better in store for our families and for our relationships. We're going to start that today with the topic of mercy. Let me pray. Jesus, we just pray for today. We pray that you would just fill me with your spirit, that you would speak through me, that you would use... Um, yeah, use me to just sh- display the words that you want to display, Lord. That if there's things from you, they'd be quickly remembered. If there's things from me and not from you, Lord, they'd be quickly forgotten. We just pray, Lord, that you and your mercy would be on display today in our relationships and in, our, in the word. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I looked at this idea of mercy, um, really it was kind of hard to actually define it well. Uh, but the, the definition I'm going to give you guys today is just the, in short, it means undeserved kindness. But really, that doesn't quite fully cover the full of the biblical concept of mercy. This word mercy is much broader in depth than I even realized myself. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite songs uh, about mercy, there's a, song, there's a, a Christian hip-hop artist named Shai Lin that he does a song called Mercy and Grace. And I thought it does a great job kind of breaking down the differences between mercy and grace, and I really enjoy it. Um, but even that song, he doesn't quite hit the full extent of this idea of mercy. So this concept of mercy appears in Scripture over 200 times. There's a number of different words that translate to it because it's such a complex idea. So it's rich, it's complex, because, and it shows, like I said, through several words it translates to mercy, and the, several ideas needed to comprehend this many-sided concept And so in turn, there's many synonyms in our English language we use when we talk about mercy. Words like compassion, pity, steadfast love, kindness, goodness, atonement, all are words that in Scripture translate from the same word that is sometimes translated mercy. And so it really creates a breadth of what this topic of mercy really is. And so I realize that mercy is one of those words that our language doesn't quite have the word that fully encompasses what it is. It's kind of like looking at a diamond. You see different facets of it, different ways you look, but we don't have that thing that completely covers the totality of how really God puts it in display. And so the, although biblically is outward, it's often looked at as outwardly action, and so you see mercy played out in action around us, it really starts from an inward disposition. It starts from within. And so as I look at this idea, my first point tonight, today is uh, mercy as a disposition. And so you can turn with me in your Bible, maybe you have a phone to click on it digitally, uh, to the book of Colossians. 
It's in the midst of Paul's letters uh, after the Gospels. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. And just a side note, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, come see us at the Welcome Center afterwards. We'd love to give you a Bible. But let's take a look this morning at Colossians uh, chapter 3. So I don't have it on the screen here, but Colossians starts with, in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, by saying that as believers in Jesus, we are to continually set our minds on the things that are above. Continually look to the things not of this earth, but look to the things that are above. And so he then proceeds to write about this idea of putting off and putting on this ongoing process of, of taking off things that are of, of, of this earth and of worldly desires and putting on things that honor God. And that brings us to this idea in verse 12, this idea of putting on uh, that he goes into. And that says here, it says verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. And so just a quick side note there, it starts here in, in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. I'm not going to dive into depth here in, in, in this verse, in this time, about God's chosen ones. Um, but if you want to take some time on that, uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Don did a great message in uh, 1 Peter about elect exiles. And I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and kind of really look at what does that really mean? What does it mean to God, be God's chosen ones, to be God's elect? But it says then, because we are God's elect, because we are God's chosen one, we are holy and beloved and put on compassionate hearts. And so I want to take a, note, a minute here just to pay attention to this word compassionate hearts. That word compassionate hearts, that's the word in this passage that stems from that root word that is mercy. It's this idea of an inward disposition of our heart to be compassionate toward those around us. And this word literally translates as bowels of mercy. So in the ancient world, uh, really your bowels, like your stomach or your entrails is where your seat of emotions came from. And so it's literally saying like it's, it's moved so deeply inside that it wells out in action. It's a, and so, yeah, as we look back to other places in the Scripture where the same concept is used, I want to take a look back at Genesis. In Genesis 43, the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph, he, he has this, uh, this moment where his, after he'd been sold into slavery, after he was down in Egypt and he had been, through, through God, placed into the, the um, court of the, king, of the ruler down in Egypt, his brothers from Israel came to seek out him in Egypt for help. They had no idea they were walking into their brother's judgment seat. And so he had this story of going back and forth and he, he met his brothers and he saw in Genesis 43, it says, then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and there wept. And so Joseph, upon seeing his brother Benjamin, had these emotions well up inside of himself in his bowels of mercy, bowels of compassion, so much so that it came out, he couldn't help but go and weep over seeing his brother for the first time in many years, his brother in many time, first time in many years. And that same idea also appears in the New Testament as well. Just one example is Matthew 9, verse 36, and he says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is just one of many times where you see Jesus 
sees a crowd, sees a person, and is so overwhelmed with compassion for that person, that same root word of mercy, that it comes out in action. And so I want to take just a moment for you guys to each think about, can you think of a, a, a situation where emotion is, without even trying, just welled up inside of you? Just take a moment and, and just think about that idea, think about it, if that's happened to you. I think we can all have at least one or two stories where we think about those ideas where mercy just, or not mercy, but compassion just welled up inside of us, emotion welled up inside of us, and it couldn't help but come out. I think one easily relatable one is, is for parents. It, it's like the idea when you, when you first saw your kid for the first time. You, just, you couldn't help, but man, I, just, I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I love this kid. That's the experience for many parents. This morning during our child vacation, we saw a small little window of how deeply loved these kids are by their whole families. And again, it's just that... that they have compassion upon them. And they can't always fully explain it. It's just that, that welling up inside of us that's natural for any parent. And so that disposition that we, we hold about mercy is in, deep inside of us. Sometimes people are more naturally bent towards having compassion and being merciful to those around us. And other times, it, it, it's, it really, in some respects, takes effort. But that dis- disposition ultimately comes from a renewing of our mind. And so I want to take a look back now at the beginning of chapter 3 in Colossians where it says in verse 1, I think that's the next slide there. Yeah. Put on then, uh, I changed, didn't change the reference. No, didn't change that. Okay. Oh, well. So uh, Colossians 3, verse 1, it might be a further slide down. Um, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on earth. So set your mind on things that are above. And as best we can tell from the context around us, he's not saying like, oh, think about the material, physical reality of heaven. He's not saying like, oh, dwell on, is the, is the throne gold? How, what's the details on it? That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here, based on the context we see in the rest of chapter 3, it's saying, take your time to think about God. Think about his characteristics. Think about who he is. Think about God's heart and character. Another thing to note here in these verses is uh, the word seek. It's in the present imperative in the Greek. And so what really that's saying is it's a continual, ongoing seeking. It's not a one-off, like, oh, I'm going to go figure this out and have it all figured out. But it's an ongoing, continual seeking of the things that are above. Ongoing seeking who God is, his heart and character. So my, one of my challenges for you this morning is, are you seeking God's heart towards mercy, towards compassion to those around you? And so yes, some of us will have a more natural bent towards, to be more merciful, but all of us can grow in our heart for mercy by spending time seeking God, and as Romans says, transforming our mind by the renewing, transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so it's one thing to think on these things. Like I said, mercy starts in inward disposition, but it naturally will overflow into our lives around us. And so although it starts as a disposition, it starts as a, as a setting our mind there, it is often moved into practice. And so to live this out, as our, living out our faith as, our, as the Bible prescribes. 
And so that leads me to a second point of mercy dispensed. So let's take another look at verse 12 in Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven them, so you also must forgive. So one thing to note in this verse that I didn't talk about earlier was how you see these different words, really they come in three sets of pairs. You have this picture of uh, compassionate hearts being the inward reality leading to the outward reality of kindness. Humility being the inward disposition leading to the outward reality of meekness. And patience, the inward reality leading to the bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So last one's not really a pair, but you know, it's, it's close enough. Um, it's this idea of bearing with and forgiving in light of our patience. I think bearing with fits more easily with that idea. And so the kindness Paul, uh, Paul speaks about, and what we're going to look at, is this idea of compassion. Compassion at heart leading to kindness. And so out of that inward disposition of mercy, mercy will de- be dispensed. And so I want to look at two ways we kind of see this mercy dispensed. The first one being this, compassion at heart leading to kindness. And later we'll look down this idea of patience and leading to bearing with one another, the idea of forbearance. And this kindness Paul speaks of is compassion for one another. You see this in stories like the Good Samaritan, the classic example of mercy dispensed. You see this picture of a Samaritan who has no relation to this person that's on the side of the road that's been beaten, battered, and bruised. And you see most people pass by. And you see a Samaritan stop out of compassion that welled up within him, that merciful compassion that welled up within him, stopped to help this man on the side of the road where others had ignored and passed by. The Samaritan had this inward disposition that overflowed into the reality to dispense mercy. And what Paul was saying here was so countercultural, just like what Jesus said when he talked about this idea of compassion and mercy. The ancient world was merciless. The injured, the sickly, the aged, they were discarded. Sometimes they were just thrown on the side of the road and the streets to die. It was not a compassionate place. And so what Paul was saying here, what Jesus said in the Gospels, was completely countercultural. And you see then, and you see throughout time, that Christianity had brought compassion that was different than what around them because of, of, really, of God. And so you just have this idea of putting on, putting off, putting on, putting off in, First Corinthians, in Colossians 3. And so really, you think about this idea of this, this garment you're putting on, it can only be worn in community. These relationships, the compassionate hearts overwhelming to kindness, it takes other people in your life to show that kindness. Meekness involves other people in your life to be able to actually put meekness on display. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, it's very explicit there, involves other people in that process. You don't do that on your own. It's not just an inward disposition, but it's on display as well. And so what does that look like practically? Sometimes, like the Good Samaritan, it's having compassion on a stranger. But oftentimes, I think mercy is most readily needed in our closest relationships. It can exist in the mundane little differences between spouses or friends. And the more we're in relationship with one another, those differences have the opportunity 
to kind of become divisive. Oftentimes, it's not sin issues here. It's just differences. We're wired differently. We're each wired in different ways, in different aspects of who God is. And the longer we're in a relationship, the more we know someone, the more those little differences can show themselves. And we have to decide how we want to respond to those moments. Often for a while, they're no big deal. Easy to look over. But one day, though, those differences sometimes can rub you the wrong way and can kind of start irking you. And you don't, can't explain why. You're just like, it's, it's not wrong. It's just, it bugs me. I don't, I don't agree with that thing. And then those differences, it becomes a point of conflict internally. Do we view these preferences or differences as a, as a right and wrong? Or does our inward disposition of mercy towards that person look beyond preferences and kindness? So let me give you an example of that. Uh, the first year Kylie and I were married, um, we just had recently moved into our first place for ourselves. Um, and one of the things we quickly realized is some of those differences, just the way we grew up was different, the way that, um, yeah, different way things we lived out were just slight differences. One of those, about a month into having our own place, was we had a large discussion about shoes and whether we would wear shoes in the house or not. I never realized this could be a possible difference. But it can. And from you guys are laughing, I imagine you guys have had some of these discussions as well. Um, but the way I grew up, I, just, I had shoes on everywhere. It was no big deal. I didn't think about it. And for Kylie, they never had shoes in the house. So you got into the, into the door, the shoes came off. And so we had a moment then of deciding, is this going to become something that we take actual conflict over? Or is this going to be something we can practice kindness towards one another? It wasn't a sin issue. It was just a difference. So what would mercy have looked like in that situation? It would have played out in kindness. It would have each of us looking towards the other's best interest, not demanding a right way, but just looking to care for one another in that difference. Sadly, we did not have this lesson of mercy back then and end up in a conflict. And we then later had to repent of that. So Dave Harvey, in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, put it this way. Mercy transforms our motivation from a desire to win battles to a desire to represent Christ. Takes me out of the center and put Christ in the center. This requires mercy. See, mercy sweetens relationship. Mercy can look beyond differences to love the other person, to seek Christ and not our own way. Dave Harvey goes on to say this. He says, Mercy inspires us to move beyond the power of government and self -lo of self-love and back to the nobler, nobler and benevolent principles of our new nature. And so that really goes back to that idea of, first, of Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2, the seeking the things that are above. We can put on our new nature and look to those, not our self-righteous attitudes, our self as the highest priority. We look to Christ as the highest priority there. And mercy really flies in the face of this idea of self-righteousness. I think it's one of the, I mean, you see as you grow older, you see as you married, kids, any relationship you have, you continually develop and see how really self-centered we are. And this idea of mercy flies in the face of that. It looks not to us as the center of the universe, it looks to God as the center of, center of the universe. And then we have to decide how we want to go from there. 
And so now let's take a look at when sin is involved as well. Sometimes it's differences, like I said, other times it involves sin. It says verse 12 and 13 again in Colossians, it's put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other. And so again, you have this idea of patience leading to bearing with another and forgiving one another. Forbearance is another idea of bearing with, enduring with. It's this idea of patience, but it's another way that mercy can be translated in scriptures. So forbearance means bearing with, enduring. It isn't tucking away sin and not dealing with it until later. It's not ignoring it or refusing to acknowledge it, but to willfully choosing to see it and say, you know, I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to go ahead and before even a forgiveness is needed, I'm going to put that out of my brain because I'm going to bear with you in that, in that thing. I'm going to take the, our right for judgment in that circumstance and put it aside because I want to care for that person. And so I want to take a look real quick at uh, another passage in Luke 6 just for a moment to illustrate this idea. And so Luke 6, it's Jesus talking to the, to the crowd, and he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish the others would do to you, do so to them. And it continues, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you uh, expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High, for He is is kind the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful. So as you look at this passage, you see this picture of Jesus talking about loving, being kind, being merciful to our enemies. And oftentimes you can be like, oh, well, well, my spouse isn't my enemy, so I'm okay. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's using a greater than to less than argument, saying if the extreme case of an enemy who's constantly seeking to do harm to you, seeking to do evil to you, even in that circumstance we are to do mercy to be merciful. And so if that's the case there, where it's a very clear example, how much more so should we do it to those who are just occasional enemies and our spouses and our friends and our, and our church family? This idea of forbearance with those who often wrong you, how often it more applies to those who are accidentally occasional enemies in our lives. Any forbearance acknowledges that another really bothered you or hurt you. If there's nothing or bothered, that bothered you or hurt you, then there really wouldn't be anything to endure, to forbear. So usually, this means sin was involved. Not always, but it usually does. Oftentimes, it's small things. It's little things where you're able to say, you know what, that wasn't a big deal. I'm able to just move past that and forget it and move on. I'm able to give that to the Lord, give that to Him and be done. Sometimes, it can be big things. So when sin is involved, this idea of forbearance, it's really it's this, this picture of not getting what, the, what is deserved. 
Mercy, in this case, costs us something. It costs us our right to hold on to that thing that we're forbearing. It's choosing to overlook an offense and wipe the slate clean, extending that inward mercy to another. And so what does that look like practically? So, for example, I think this is especially prevalent with, with kids. Um, I, I know if you're a parent, kids can, you, it's often a forbearance with. They can do things without thinking all the time. Sometimes it's sin, sometimes not. But without care for what it may affect other, other people. And so one of my ki- when, when one of my kids sin against me, or maybe just, man, the differences are really um, buttoned against me that day, we have a decision to make consciously in that moment, each time. Is this something that maybe, maybe discipline's needed to be involved, or is this something I can forbear with and show mercy and kindness to my kids? Or maybe it's between you and your spouse, maybe between you and a friend. They say or do something accusatory that just has that, or just has that tone in the way they address it. You have a decision to make in that moment. Do you respond in kind and probably escalate it further? Or do you turn the other cheek, extend mercy, let mercy well up from within you and play out? Do you turn the other cheek and extend mercy to them with the goal of bringing peace? I think so much of what you see in this passage with Luke is that picture of showing mercy, being merciful to bring peace into the situation. I was reading online, I found this quote from an author, an American author, Rochelle Goodrich. I really don't know her. I can't endorse any of her stuff, but this quote really stuck out to me. It says, even the smallest tender mercy can bring peace when recognized and appreciated. Even the smallest tender mercy can bring peace when recognized and appreciated. Your decision to make in that moment, will you bring mercy or will you bring back what you feel you have a right to? in quote-unquote righteous anger, which probably isn't actually righteous anger. And if you've noticed that up to this point, nothing about this idea of mercy has really anything to do with the other person. Their heart, their action, their responses. You being moved in your inmost being towards someone to display mercy, to display mercy is not predicated on that person and their actions being worthy of mercy. And so if I left it here, it really would be a great self-help message. But that's not really what the Bible, where the Bible leaves us. The Bible doesn't leave us in a position to try harder, to figure it out ourselves, to go get better in our own strength. But Jesus is our hope. And so the third point here I have today is mercy displayed. The number one place we see mercy in scriptures overwhelmingly is God. So I'm just going to pull a couple verses here that kind of put this idea of mercy displayed through, through God. So we'll start in the Old Testament, Exodus. Exodus 33, 19 says, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And again, just a chapter later in Exodus 34, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Especially that second one, you see a little picture of this idea of mercy being multifaceted, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, that wells up from that mercy, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, it's in some regard, 
speaks to that mercy of the Lord. You see that God is merciful. It's part of who he is. God has chosen, had chosen the Israelites in the Old Testament as a people for himself and therefore chose to act in his mercy towards them again and again and again, even when they didn't deserve it. Fast forward a few books later in Isaiah. It says, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Again, that compassion, this idea of mercy, the inner welling up inside of him because of who he is, and then dispensing that to those around him, to his chosen people. No matter what they did, no matter how much they deserved wrath and judgment, he brought mercy. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. It's who he is. It's not just a choice he has to make daily like we do, but it's who God is, is mercy. And Psalms is just littered with this idea of mercy. Just one of those, Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he made. As we look at this idea of, of God's mercy, God, who God is pouring out to those around us, there's different attributes of God. Some are incommunicable, we cannot obtain them, and some of them are communicable, which means we have access to be able to take little pieces of those and, and have those same attributes ourselves. And mercy is one of those. Mercy is this idea that we can, we can see the mercy of God and be impacted on, in our lives because of it, and we can well up within and we can have that same idea of mercy in our lives. Steadfast love is one of the common ways the Hebrew word is translated mercy, as you see in a couple of those verses there. And really all the Old Testament is this picture of God's mercy towards his people. Though they've continually turned from him, continually sinned, and deserved punishment, he showed mercy on them. But it's not just the Old Testament. Let's move to the New Testament as well and look at a few verses in the New Testament. We'll start in Luke with Jesus. And it says that verse we looked at earlier, Luke 6, how it ends is, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In Titus 3.5, it says, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter 1, it says, we read a few weeks ago, Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is littered throughout Old Testament, New Testament. God is merciful. The ultimate display of that was the cross. As Jesus continually puts mercy on display throughout his life, welling up with side of him, it shows compassion on those around him he inter interacts with. Compassion is the common translation of the word mercy in the New Testament in the Gospel. So you see this in stories like the bleeding woman that touches him, he had compassion, and he stopped and cared and overwhelmingly came out from the bowels of mercy inside and overwhelmed in, dis in display. You see this in places like Lazarus, where he's so moved by compassion for his friend. Every step, Jesus is fueled by his characteristic mercy. So mercy starts with the God who is mercy and merciful, and it leads to the ultimate display of mercy at the cross. 
God had every right to punishment, but it cost him something to have mercy upon us. And the ultimate display of mercy is that that cost was paid by Jesus, not by us. He spared us from that due, just punishment and provided mercy to us. And so if you don't know this God of mercy, perhaps today is the day that you'd want to see what God did mercifully on the cross where mercy and grace met, where he withheld the punishment from us but also provided life to us. So my big idea for today really is this. It says, as God has displayed mercy to us, we are to dispense mercy to others. As God has displayed mercy to us, we are to dispense mercy to others. It's this idea that the vertical leads to the horizontal. As we're impacted vertically in our relationship with God, it naturally overflows horizontally to those around us. As we are to, yes, not only follow Christ's example, but set our mind on things above, and our mind is transformed and renewed by this God of mercy, it will naturally overflow to those around us, both those that are deserving and those that are undeserving. It is admiring and not resenting differences. It's, it's not snapping back at a spouse, even though they deserve in that, in that moment too. It's forbearing with your kids and friends who have differences than you for seemingly the hundredth time today. And it's also going the extra mile to care for a stranger you don't know as well. It's a deep innermost affection overflowing out of our lives from the bowels of mercy into our lives around us. It's countercultural to think of others before ourselves, but that's exactly what mercy calls us to do. Mercy calls us not to look to our own rights, but to God. So it funnels outward, starts with Christ, avalanches into our other relationships with spouses, family, friends, church. Worship team, you can go and join me on stage. And I want to take a moment just to read a quick excerpt from John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage. He talks about this. He talks about this idea of a, a compost pile where we're able to put the differences we have, the struggles we have with one another. It says, picture your marriage as a grassy field. You enter at the beginning full of hope and joy. You look out into the future. You see beautiful flowers and trees and rolling hills. And that beauty is what you see in each other. Your relationship is the field and the flowers and the rolling hills. But before long, you begin to step in cow pies. Some seasons in your marriage, they maybe seem to be everywhere. Late at night, they're especially prevalent. These are the sins and flaws and idiosyncrasies and weaknesses and annoying habits in you and your spouse. You try to forgive them and endure with grace, but they have a way of dominating relationship. It may not even be true, but sometimes it feels like it's all there is, cow pies. Noel and uh, John Piper's wife and him have come to believe that the combination of forbearance and forgiveness leads to the creation of a compost pile. That's where you shovel the cow pies. You both look at each other and simply admit that there are a lot of cow pies. But you say to each other, you know, there is more to this relationship than cow pies. And we're losing sight of that because we keep focusing on these cow pies. Let's throw them all in the compost post pile. When we have to, we'll go there and smell it and feel bad and deal with it the best we can. And then we're going to walk away from the pile and set our eyes on the rest of the field. 
We'll pick some favorite paths and hills we know are not strewn with cow pies. And we'll be thankful for the part of the field that is sweet. Our hands may be dirty, our backs may ache from all the shoveling, but one thing we know, we will not pitch our tent by the compost pile. We will go there only when we must. This is a gift of grace that we will give each other again and again and again because we are chosen and holy and loved. So as you look at your marriage, as you look at your relationships, friends, and family around you, are you constantly stepping cow pies? Are you shoveling those aside, letting mercy well up within us to show mercy out to those around us? So husbands and wives, kids and friends and family, may we root our minds more firmly into the Christ through the gospel until we become more merciful people. Let our minds be renewed as we set our gaze upon the one who provided mercy abundantly. Let's take one more look back at Colossians 3.13 to finish it up. It says, Bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. God does not give a command. He's not unwilling to meet himself. The Lord has forgiven you starts from within that vertical relationship and then flows out as an avalanche to those around us. So mercy as disposition, mercy dispensed, and mercy displayed. It's always an act of the will to be merciful to those around us, but it starts and comes from God. We then have a choice to act or not. So as we end here with this song, let his mercy, uh, his mercy is more, I want us to be reminded continually that though our sins are many, his mercy is more. It sticks with us no matter the sin and judgment we deserve. It sticks with us no matter the differences we see in others. And the mercy flows first and foremost from God.